At Total Wine & More, find the best gifts for everyone on your list, whether it's a Cabernet for sis or a single-barrel bourbon that dad will love. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, you'll always find what you love and love what you find. Only at Total Wine & More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly. Be 21. Where can you find the best gifts at great low prices that everyone will love? At Total Wine & More, of course, with so many great bottles to choose from. Find something for everyone on your list, whether it's a Cabernet for your sis, sparkling wine for a coworker, or a single barrel bourbon for dad. And if you need any help, just ask one of their friendly guides for advice. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, you'll always find what you love and love what you find. Only at Total Wine & More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly. Be 21. Hey, it's Kristen. And we have something really exciting for you, like years in the making, exciting in two weeks. As we're getting ready for that, we wanted to bring back a favorite episode that we put a lot of love into from around this time last year. It's for a recipe that will never get old. The best use of strawberries, sugar, and a whole lemon that I know. Here it is. I hope you love it. And I'll meet you back here soon for the big news. I'm Kristen McGlory, lifelong genius hunter. For almost a decade, wait, for a decade, I've been unearthing the recipes that have changed the way we cook. Now, on the Genius Recipe Tapes, we go behind the scenes with the geniuses themselves. And we get to hear from you. So this week, I'm going way, way back to the very first Genius Recipe that I wrote about for Food 52 exactly 10 years ago this week. I will give a moment for you and maybe me to process just how long that really is. What were you doing 10 years ago? I was writing with a lot of wild adjectives about my excitement for a three-ingredient strawberry sorbet from the River Cafe in London that I had just learned about from my boss, Amanda Hesser, who had written about it herself for her own column, The Arsenal, for the New York Times Magazine about five years before. And the shocking thing about that sorbet, and the thing that remains shocking, and the detail that really sticks with you, is that you chop up a whole lemon, the juicy tart flesh, the good-smelling rind, and even the spongy white pith in between that everyone says is so bitter it will ruin your food. In fact, I started the column with a three-word sentence that isn't technically a sentence, that dastardly pith, which has made me cringe for almost the entire decade. But anyway, you throw that whole dastardly lemon into the food processor along with some sugar, and then you blend up some ripe strawberries too, and then churn it all together. And the sorbet you get is hot pink and just astonishing. It's the brightest, strawberriest strawberry you've ever tasted. Everyone loves it. My husband says it's one of the best things he's ever eaten. But even though I'd been preaching about this recipe from Ruth Rogers and the late Rose Gray, the co-founders of the River Cafe, for 10 years, and I put it in the First Genius Recipes cookbook, and I taught it in cooking classes. I'd only talked to Ruth very briefly over email here and there, and had never heard the full story behind the recipe and where that whole lemon comes from. So in honor of Genius's 10th birthday, I thought it was time to know more. So I called up Ruth, or Ruthie as she goes by. And later in the episode, I talked to my boss Amanda too about how she first found this recipe for the times and what made her so sure that it was the perfect one for launching the Genius Column all those years ago. And then at the end of the episode, we will hear from some of our listeners about the Genius recipes that have really stuck for them over the years too. But first, to set the scene, 
I asked Ruthie to tell us how she and Rose began their famous partnership. Oh, the first time I met Rose was, uh, she actually knew my husband, Richard, before I did. Um, And they went to kind of the equivalent of American high school together. They did their A-levels in the same college. And um, so I was, and and she was very, very good friends with um, my my husband's ex-wife and her children were the same age as some of our children. So the two families were we're friends. And so I think I met Rose. I always say the first time I was introduced to her, she, you know, the door opened and there was this uh, extremely beautiful woman uh, with a baby on one hip and a glass of champagne in the other hand. So (laughs) that was Rose. So the more I learn about Rose, it is clear how much she lives on in the River Cafe and in Ruthie's memories of her. Here's how the two of them decided to launch the River Cafe almost 35 years ago, even though neither had run a restaurant kitchen before. The story of how Rose and I um, decided to found the River Cafe is a story of two women who were both domestic cooks. Rose had four children. I have three stepchildren and two children. And we just were always women who cooked at home for our families and were passionate cooks. My husband's architectural practice uh, bought this site on the Thames, which was warehouses. It was on the river. It had a, uh, no green space at all because it was a building. And what he did with his practice was to um, create a green space, open up the view to the river. And and their architectural practice took one building. And then in the rest of the um, of the property, there were other architects, designers, there were tapestry makers, and there was a community. That was their idea, was to create a community. And of course, with the community, you needed somewhere to eat, and there was nowhere to eat. And so they um, they put out applications for people to do a small restaurant there. And I looked at them and I said, I remember I said to Richard, the only thing worse than not having a restaurant would be to have a, a mediocre one. So I called up Rose and we came to look at the site because I knew that she was back from New York. She had never cooked in a restaurant. She had actually gone to New York to cook with a friend of hers called Nell, who um, was helping out a friend of hers who was starting out at a nightclub. And um, so she she cooked there. But anyway, we looked at the site. It was tiny. There was room enough for sort of seven tables. And, uh, and as you know, uh, we made a, we spent very little money, and we transformed it into a small cafe. And we were restricted by the fact that we could only open at lunchtime and only to the people who um, worked in the um, warehouses. The local neighborhood didn't want us there. And those restrictions actually helped us because with very little experience, we were able to start very small for only lunchtime and only a small group of people. So I always say that we grew with the restaurant. Did you ever think there was a chance that you would never be able to open to the public? Was that ever a fear of yours? No, I think we we were told that in order to open, um, we had to take the restrictions of being open to lunchtime. And then when we were allowed to, and not to the public, then we were allowed to open to the public six months later, or maybe a bit more, almost a year later. And then we were open at night And then we weren't allowed to open on Sundays. It was just a gradual process. I see. Oh, that that sounds very lovely, actually. (laughs) Yeah, it was good for us, actually. 
When I hear about chefs, some of my young chefs wanting to open restaurants, I always encourage them to start small and grow. And I still do that with everything we do. We start, you know, whether it's um, our new shop, which we're very excited about, our online shop. We started in each other's kitchens over lockdown, and that has grown in the past year into something which is quite a big business. And as they grew, sorbet and gelato were a pretty big and continuous presence on their menus, even though those menus change twice a day every day, as well as in all of their cookbooks. In fact, I just picked up their very first cookbook, the Rogers Gray Italian Country Cookbook, and there are 12. I asked Ruthie how that came to be. When you go to a town in Italy, kind of you want to find out where the ice cream shop is first. So I think Rose and I always... um, knew that we wanted ice creams to be a big part of our menu. And um, I particularly love ice cream. Much of the inspiration of our Italian cooking came from living in Italy, but it really came from my husband, Richard's mother, Dada Rogers, who was an Italian who came here in the um, just before the Second World War in about 1930. Eight, I think she came, and she came from, she was born in Trieste, she was living in Florence, she was a very um, sophisticated, wonderful uh, cook, and um, really became, I think she became a cook out of necessity, because she left her country, missed the food tremendously, and couldn't find it here, and so um, she started cooking, and I think her ice creams, when I used to go visit her, I'd, we'd all head straight for the freezer because she would make um, sorbets in the summer and ice creams in the winter. And so I think that was kind of the inspiration for many of our uh, ice creams that we've had. And today we still make her recipes. Dada's recipes for um, sorbet were to take the fruit, weigh it, and then um, add probably half the amount of sugar of the weight of the strawberries Mm -hmm. or raspberries, but that would vary on the sweetness of the fruit. And then, um, so you would add more. And then she would put in some lemon juice, she would squeeze, but she would also take the um, peel of the lemon. And sometimes she would put in, you know, this would vary. She'd put in the whole half a lemon in the, she thought that Mm -hmm. the, um, Maggi mix or the Cuisinart of the, the food processor, there's so many words, was just about the greatest invention. You know, so she was always trying to uh, try and, and do, do, do mixtures. And I think just that simplicity of ingredients, the fact that in the strawberry sorbet there's lemon sugar in the fruit, is, um, is unparalleled in, in recipes. Finally, after 10 years, I know where the inspiration for this sorbet came from. Ruth's mother-in-law, Dada Rogers, a great Italian home cook who fell in love with the Cuisinart just as so many other people did when it first hit the market in the 1970s. But I've seen a few different sorbets that use this lemon trick in the River Cafe's cookbooks. One with raspberries, one with blood oranges, even one with lemon and banana. Did they all come from Dada? It's very hard with the recipe to remember where one started and another one took off, you know, Mm -hmm. because I always say, people always say to me, where did you get the idea for that recipe? And I say there's very few ideas for a recipe. You know, the work that we do is a progression. We, she might have put in one half of a lemon and then maybe we said put more. And then my new pastry chef is saying she'd like to make them smooth. And, you know, we want to, we may have two 
two sorbets on the menu, one with lemon, one without. But they are really based in the tradition, I'd say, of Tata's recipes. What Ruthie is saying perfectly illustrates the challenges in crediting recipes to a single source, like Genius Recipes does on its surface, and also the importance of digging deeper to learn more of the story, which Genius Recipes also tries to do. But back to the sorbet, I wanted to know more about this memorable genius step that Ruthie learned from her mother-in-law. What is it that's so good and so lasting about blending the whole lemon right in? And what exactly is the lemon doing in the sorbet? The whole lemon gives it a texture that is quite rough. It makes it, you know, that it makes it different from all the other sorbets that we eat, which are very smooth, the French style, for instance. And this one gives you a texture. It gives you a bit of drama. And I think in the um, the sorbet, it makes you think, oh, you really know what you're eating. You gives you a sense of drama. It gives you a sense of, yeah, I think, you know, that just know it. You have that text. You have those bits. You have the the kind of chewiness of the lemon that absolutely identifies the lemon in, in the sorbet. Uh, is there anything that you would say, you know, any tips that you would give to people at home in, in trying to achieve the right balance in any any sorbets where you're using a whole lemon like like the strawberry sorbet? I think that for the most important thing is to taste the fruit, you know, to taste the pear, to make to taste the, the the cherries, to taste the strawberries, the raspberries, uh, the peaches, and then and then really think how if you wanted to eat a peach after a meal because that's what I like to do when I think about the sorbets. I think when you're eating um, a, a, a piece of mozzarella with uh, smashed black olives and grilled asparagus, when you're eating a tomato sauce that has been slow cooked. It's a really strong flavor, the way that we cook. It, 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 it almost, you know, knocks you sideways. We're not, we're a restaurant where you really want the taste of the tomato, the cheese, or the fruit to, you know, be, be the flavor that you have. And I think that when you end a meal with a sorbet, you want that same experience. And so we want, you know, I always say to the chefs, does that fruit in the sorbet explode in your mouth? Does it actually feel like you're having something that is almost challenging to you? If you're just having the fruit and you're having the lemon juice, the lemons have to be ripe, the fruit has to be juicy, the fruit has to be in season. So I think, you know, we don't we don't do sugar syrups, we don't add chopped up other things in it. We we don't, you know, we really try and give the essence. It's like eating a strawberry. It really should be as powerful as ending the meal. In Italy, you have very often, you have uh, for dessert, you have strawberries with a lemon juice and sugar. That's what you get. So take that and make a sorbet out of it. I love the word drama for this sorbet. And it feels like there's just the right amount of drama in every part of the River Cafe, from the simple intensity of their recipes to the bright pink hearth in the otherwise minimalist restaurant to the hard shadows that crisscross the photography of their books and their shop. I also have to say, though, when I've taught this recipe in cooking classes, it's always the one that everyone loves the most, where every single student comes out great, no matter how new they are to cooking and even if the strawberries weren't already the very best. It just might be a little less dramatic. (music) 
If you're enjoying this conversation with Ruthie as much as I did, head over to the Genius Recipe Tapes and hit subscribe so you don't miss out on other stories like this one or like our recent story with Mark Matsumoto, founder of norecipes.com, about the early days of food blogging, the next big thing in climate-conscious farming, and his one-ingredient trick that has forever changed the way that I season salmon and pretty much everything else. In the second half of the episode, we get to hear from Amanda Hesser about how she found this recipe and what makes it stick with us. Meet you back here for that. You reach for the top olive oils and invest in the best pans. But in the kitchen, how well do you care for your greatest tool, your hands? When mine take a beating cooking and cleaning, which is often, I use Bag Bomb to work its wonders on my poor, distressed skin. Created 125 years ago on a Vermont dairy farm, their soaps smell great and clean hands without stripping moisture, and their fast-absorbing lotion means I can quickly get back to cooking. Treat your hardworking hands to Bag Bomb, every chef's best friend. Use code FOOD52 for 20% off your order on bagbomb.com. Good through 2024. You reach for the top olive oils and invest in the best pans. But in the kitchen, how well do you care for your greatest tool, your hands? When mine take a beating cooking and cleaning, which is often, I use Bag Bomb to work its wonders on my poor, distressed skin. Created 125 years ago on a Vermont dairy farm, their soaps smell great and clean hands without stripping moisture, and their fast-absorbing lotion means I can quickly get back to cooking. Treat your hardworking hands to Bag Bomb, every chef's best friend. Use code FOOD52 for 20% off your order on bagbomb.com. Good through 2024. Okay, so that's how this sorbet got from Dada to Ruthie to the River Cafe's menus and cookbooks. To find out more about how its cult status has continued to grow, I wanted to talk to my boss, Amanda Hesser, about her part in spreading the word. At the time, which is around 2000, sometime between 2004 and 2006, I redid the pages, uh, the food pages of the magazine, and one of the things I felt like was missing from the Times cooking coverage then, I wouldn't say this about it now, there wasn't a lot of writing about basics. It was a lot of writing about food that was pretty sophisticated and more advanced cooking. And I, I felt like there needed to be room for cooking that was just really approachable, but really smart and interesting and basic. And the Arsenal was a column that I created essentially to address that and to and to run recipes that were not at all highfalutin and were um, you know kind of s- simple but excellent versions of basic recipes and then and sometimes they were thematic around kind of like the the power of eggs for instance I focused on a, a Spanish omelet called revueltos which is essentially a like rapidly cooked scrambled egg. Um, often done with, you know, either seafood or something, some kind of, you know, strong flavoring, whether that's an anchovy or chorizo. I, the ones I focused on were chorizo and just how just treating the egg differently, um, you know, than, than a traditional American style scrambled egg, um, you know, with a, a few tiny tweaks, you know, made this incredibly different and super cool dish. I did, to me, like, Nothing would be like more boring than just like a column that's like focused on just, you know, here are some basics that you need to know. It's kind of like eat your vegetables. Um, I don't, you know, who wants to do that? So I, I really tried to select things that, um, you know, you know, yes, they were, they were basics, but they were also memorable. And how would you usually find the recipes that you'd feature there? Oh, you know, <laughs> sniffed around. You know, I often it was a matter of you know talking to people, cookbooks. I sometimes developed them my own on my own, but it's always fun. And I mean, as you know better than anyone, 
you know, searching around and finding other people's recipes that haven't been fully appreciated in the way that you think they, they could be or should be like, there's nothing more satisfying than that. Right. It's like, you feel like you're like a recipe sleuth. And the fact of the matter is, and we all know this, especially with the dawn of the internet is that there are just millions of recipes out in the world. And, the average person doesn't have time to sift through them and really distinguish one from the other. And you need people to do that. And it's, it's also, you know, a way to really kind of appreciate the, and value the art, um, of, of recipe creation. Right. And that, you know, a recipe on the surface could, two recipes on the surface could look very much alike, but be extremely different based on, you know, two different details. So you think it's um, your job and my job and and our all of our jobs now at Food Fifty Two to kind of like find find the ones that have the interesting details. Yeah, I mean, I think that's you know that was one of the premises behind Food Fifty Two was we wanted to create a, a site that had excellent recipes that and that curated them for you so that you didn't have to do the sorting that we were essentially kind of saying here are the ones you should pay attention to. And also give great cooks out in the world an opportunity to say, hey, <laughs> look at mine. I think it's worthy. And for the community to essentially help do that curation as well by deciding like, yeah, this is a great recipe that isn't in a cookbook and isn't, hasn't been published on a you know, national publication. It comes from you know, this, this person in the community, but it's, it's really cool and great. I was just thinking this strawberry sorbet obviously um, really struck a chord with you because I remember um, when we were trying to figure out what to launch the Genius Recipes column with, like I had a few ideas that were kind of bumping around, but they didn't feel like the one to launch with. Like I think I had um, Diana Kennedy's Carnitas and um, the the crispy skinned fish from Liberna Den. Mm. And, and I thought they were both really cool recipes and really simple and, and had a trick that could um, change how we cook those things. But I think... I was like hemming and hawing and being indecisive. And I, I just remember you kind of like walking through the room at General Assembly and being like, I've got one for you. <laughs> and, and it was the strawberry sorbet. Um, do you remember that? Um, I don't remember to, you know, <laughs> you know, lobbing a declarative at you, but I, um, uh, um, doesn't surprise me. Um, but you know, I, I, I was so excited when you decided to do this column because I, I just knew like intuitively that it was, it was going to resonate um, because it is really what all, all, you know, cooks look for. And, and it celebrates just the, the, what is so interesting about cooking. Okay. I just want to break in here and mention that when Amanda says I decided to do this column, she's being gracious because the column, both the concept and the name were her idea. I wrote more on that story on food 52 today. But back to what stuck for Amanda about this sorbet and why she immediately knew that it was the one to launch the Genius Recipes column. And that recipe, I remember it just, I was, I felt dazzled by it when I came, first learned about it because who on earth would think to take an entire lemon and stick it into the food processor along with your beautiful fresh fruit, delicate fruit, and expect that anything good was going to come out of that. And, you know, especially when you've learned that, like, you know, the pith is bitter and, you know, the, the uh, skin needs to, you know, be simmered several times before it's, you know, edible um, or, or it's something that should only go into, you know, should only be grated and put into savory dishes or whatever, you know, like it's, um, I just feel like the lemon 
you know, obviously isn't this amazingly like kind of powerful ingredient, but it, it's always been sort of treated by in its parts as opposed to as a whole. And, um, but I also loved the kind of like irreverence of like throwing a whole, you know, throwing this lemon into the food processor along with, mm-hmm. with everything else. And, um, it also made me understand for the first time, like, I feel like, um, almost every sort of fruit sorbet recipe you're going to come across, there's a little bit of lemon juice, but it almost feels like that, like a pinch of salt, like this sort of throwaway thing that you just do out of habit or because like some cooking school told you to do it. And what I saw was that, oh no, the lemon and its fragrance, just like it actually, um, this makes the strawberries come to life. And, and it's funny because there's another recipe on the site, which I, I think you may have done as a genius recipe, but you know, lazy Mary's lemon tart is another one of these where you stick a whole lemon into the lemon curd, into the food, you know, into the blender. And you're like, how can you put mm-hmm. a lemon into the blender and have, get a really smooth curd? Um, but the blender figures that out for you. And, you know, it's just, it, it's the, those are the kinds of things that like, I, like, I find like they tickle me, they are, they make me love cooking. And, and also it's just like the recipe that when you make it and you serve it to friends, just like they're blown away. Right. And it gives you something to talk about with them as you're serving it too. Yeah, totally. I, people can't believe it. Right. It's, it's just great. And you know, something else that's kind of, I, I'm curious if this, um, melts your mind as much as it does mine. Mm-hmm. You wrote about the strawberry sorbet in 2006 for the Arsenal, and then it launched the Genius Recipes column in 2011, so I guess about five years apart, and it's been twice that long oh since my God. then. Like, the column has been going for 10 years. I, it just doesn't add up to me, because I feel like <laughs> you at the time, right? <laughs> you at the time is writing the Arsenal feels like a totally different era, yeah. and then all of our time at food 52 feels like, I mean, obviously a lot has changed, but it just still feels like one long era. Okay. (laughs) I'm feeling old. (laughs) Um, It's only Monday. But, um, thanks, thanks, Kristen. (laughs) You're feeling old. I've been writing the same column for 10 years. (laughs) Yeah. So I think that's sort of like, I just a lot of time has passed. Like, so if it's, if it's been more than 15 years since I wrote about this and I didn't, I don't think I, I mean, I don't know when it was actually originally published, but I think it was a couple of years before at least that. Mm-hmm. But it, the thing that's amazing about a recipe like this is that it doesn't feel old. Like Mm-mm. it feels perfectly modern and present and like you can't, there's nothing modern that will like improve upon it. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, I, I think that's nice. I feel like um, the more I cook, the the more I have an appreciation for those kinds of recipes. Mm-hmm. And how cool to like create a recipe like that and feel like this, this is a recipe that will like live on for potentially forever. And now here are some of our listeners' favorite genius recipes. May they live on forever too. This is Molly Georgiakis from Arlington, Virginia, and my favorite genius recipe is Marcella Hazan's tomato sauce with onion and butter, or as it's called in my family, the sauce. I made it once for my sisters who were visiting, and now they and my mother all make it. My sister Katie even upped the genius quotient by using an immersion blender to smooth the sauce after simmering. The finished product is so creamy, so bisque-like, that my 10-year-old nephew has been caught eating it from the pot with a spoon. 
Hi, I'm Katie calling from Salt Lake City and my favorite genius recipes dessert is Smitten Kitchen's brown buttered rice crispy treats. You cannot get any better than this simple dessert. Starting from the nutty browned butter, the gooey sweet marshmallows and the sea salt to finish it off. I have made snobs of all of my children and now none of us will accept any rice krispies but these and I am asked constantly to bring them to every function. Hi, I'm Amanda calling from Brooklyn, and my favorite genius recipe is Lady and Pup's Magic 15-Second Creamy Scrambled Eggs, because these are truly the most delicious, creamiest eggs I've ever had. They're a handful of ingredients, eggs, milk, butter, and cornstarch. And the cornstarch and butter make amazing combination to make these delicious, creamy eggs. Hi, this is Danielle calling from Brooklyn, and my favorite genius recipe is Ken Forkish's Hawaiian pizza. I'm a little bit biased because I was able to record a video with Kristen making this recipe, but it combines my love of bacon with my love of pizza, and it is an inventive way to try something like pineapple on pizza, which most people aren't a big fan of. Thanks for listening. And my thanks to Ruthie for joining us today, who I want to note was just about to jump into a shift of cooking at the River Cafe. The strawberry sorbet was on the menu that night and they just added it to their online shop too. It's called Shop the River Cafe, which they first launched small at the beginning of the pandemic to sell their stocks of ingredients like olive oil and pasta. And then they added things like slow cooked tomato sauce, whole fish dinners, and now beautiful homewares and cookbooks too growing it slowly and deliberately, just like they did the cafe three decades before. Thank you also to Amanda Hesser, the co-founder of Food52 and my longtime boss and mentor. And to all of you for listening and cooking and commenting and supporting Genius Recipes, whether you've been here for 10 years or 25 minutes. Thank you. Our show is put together by Coral Lee with support from Emily Hanhan. If you have a Genius Recipe to share, I would always, forever, love to hear from you at genius at food52.com. And if you like the Genius Recipe tapes, do take a sec to rate us, leave a review, and subscribe if you haven't already. You are the best. Talk to you soon.